I had to grow up very, very fast, but I always took action. So I didn't let myself be afraid. I was like, this needs renovated. We need to find somebody to do it. And that just built up my confidence. So when we move forward in fear, we're building confidence. Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Sarah Miss Kelly's journey began at age 16 when her dad unexpectedly died and she took over all of his real estate properties. She's going to share on this episode how she was able to build trust dealing with contractors, tenants, and also grow her portfolio exponentially and become a limited partner in several syndications in the U.S. and internationally as well. One of the most important things, she breaks down how to vet the sponsors. So if you are looking to become a limited partnership, check this episode out. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome back, everyone. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show. We believe that every woman deserves the right to achieve financial freedom in her own way. Sarah, Miss Kelly, thank you so much for being on our show. I know that you have done the same for yourself since an early age. So thank you for being on the show. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so Sarah, let's jump into the first question here. Your story is extremely powerful. What I'd like to ask you is what has been the hardest lesson that you learned when you unexpectedly took over your father's properties at age 16? The hardest lesson was that I am the one that's responsible for my future. And at some level, nobody's going to help me. I need to grow up fast and take action and self-educate. That was the biggest thing that happened and deal with a lot of men at a young age. That's a lot, right? So when, when a lot of women are thinking about buying their first property and 
growing a portfolio and other other women in our community inherit the family's properties that we have right now and they share that it's it's a lot of responsibility because you want to make them proud you don't want to lose anything you want to grow but at 816 there's also a different level of responsibility there because Many 16-year-old that I know are not even thinking about owning anything. So dissect for us, how did you navigate that? How did you, because legally you, you couldn't, how was that portion? You had the rights to do it. Who helped you navigate everything? Yeah, so we had to have an estate trustee take over. And then I was assigned somebody specifically to kind of be my voice as a young child. And I think for parents that are listening, I'm a parent myself now of two young children. My father got me involved in real estate at a very young age and started to kind of show me the ropes, even as a kid, when I didn't realize I was learning things. So even though this situation came up and it was very challenging and it was an estate process that if people are inheriting property even older, they're going to have to go through this. I think educating yourself ahead of time is very important. Inadvertently, my dad did do that, although I'm sure he didn't expect to you know, pass away so young. What are those lessons that, what did he do? Because all the parents are now like, okay, what did he do to quote unquote prepare you to be able to handle that circumstance? My father was an immigrant from Croatia and he came to Canada, the classic with nothing story. Like many people that come to America and Canada, they come for a better life. And from a young age, he always showed me the value of hard work. And he always treated me not, you know, like a little girl that wasn't capable. He was like, you're going to come out with me. You're not going to watch TV when you're at my house because my parents weren't together, actually. You're going to mow the lawn. You're going to walk checks to the bank. You're going to clean apartments before tenant moves in. And I think these kind of things that we bring our children into our world as adults and we show them how it's like to, to do work and, and what the what the benefit of hard work is at a young age. That was very important. Uh, and I think that really got me where I am today. So then your your father unexpectedly passes away, which in and of itself as a 16 year old could it had to be incredibly difficult on so many levels, right? And then you are inherited these properties. So you talk about trust, something you said, uh, you know, as we, as we got ready and prepared here, when I inherited my dad's properties and money at 16, I struggled to find people to trust. Uh, you had to go to court, you had to deal with family members. Uh, walk us through a little bit of, of that, of what happened and how you moved through that. Because uh, everyone deals with trust issues, but as a 16-year-old, right, it, it must have been even harder. Definitely. And money is a great magnifier. So when there's a death in a family, especially the death of somebody that was working extremely hard to make something of himself, people come out of the woodwork. They show up in ways that you wouldn't have expected them to show up. I had family members yelling at me at, on the phone that I was so confronted by because I was just a 16-year-old. I didn't know what was going on. And I think when things like this happen, we really need to look at, okay, how am I going to move forward? And I did get support uh, from my mom, although she wasn't uh, in a real estate investor at that level. But I was always looking for people to trust. The challenge at that age is a lot of people in real estate in general, and this is changing. That's why I love what you women are doing. There's a lot of men. So when I went to you know meet financial advisors, there was a lot of mansplaining, which is the term. I didn't really understand the jargon of the stock market. I didn't really understand the jargon of you know commercial real estate. And I think that the big thing that we need to do is 
take on the initiative to self-educate and know that we're failing forward. One thing that was very important, I think that got implanted in me is you need to just keep pushing forward, no matter the circumstances. So during this time, I had to grow up very, very fast. And I'm sure there's some contractors that I overpaid, to be honest, um, but I always took action. So I didn't let myself be afraid. I was like, this needs renovated. We need to find somebody to do it. And that just built up my confidence. So when we move forward in fear, we're building confidence. So paint for me a picture of what exactly we're talking about. We are talking about single families, uh, apartment complexes, uh, multifamily. What exactly were you dealing with? So the properties that I had were small multifamily. So that's usually five or six units. And they were in two neighborhoods in Toronto, Canada. One was a little bit rougher. So the tenant base was a little bit more challenging to manage. The other one was in a very reputable neighborhood in my city. So that tenant base was lovely to deal with. They kind of saw the struggle that I was going through and they were very kind and respectful to me. Um, But these properties also come with their challenges. My dad actually was in the process of doing a massive renovation when he passed away And there was a lot of unfinished work that I had to then take on and complete, not myself hammering nails, but find the right contractors to fulfill on that work uh, because he was an electrician and he was a renovator. So a lot of that work before he got sick, he was doing on his own. So those were the type of assets that I was then set to manage. How how did you, quote unquote, enroll the tenants to respect you as as the property manager and owner of the, the, the house? That's a great question. I think some of it is that when you treat people well, in my heart, I believe most people are going to treat you well back. Responsiveness is critical. When people have a problem, you make sure you do your best to fulfill on it. You stay in communication with them if something's not complete on time. So I think these basic life skills are very powerful as a a property manager. And I found that as I moved forward and got my confidence up and I saw that there was a mutual respect between us, I then was able to carry on those tactics as I expanded my own portfolio. How did you work through the contractor issues? I mean, like people have a hard time finding contractors on any any level at any point, let alone as a 16-year-old. So how did you navigate that? Obviously, your father was an electrician. Did you have contacts before did you just start networking? Like, how, what did what did you do? A mix of both. Networking, I truly think, is critical. And as well now, as I've gotten older and technology has advanced, I also used apps like, um, you know, those those applications where you can find people to help you out, um, like Go Fix Me, things like that. They may be different in the States, but initially it was networking and family friends that may have known a contractor that they trusted. And I'm not saying that always works. There were some contractors that hit on me and made me feel really uncomfortable. And then there were some that were wonderful. And when I found ones that were wonderful, I, I stuck it out with them and I used them on additional projects. So let me ask you like a, a going a different kind of path over here. Do you feel that you were forced to be in the real estate business or you have, cause you, you, we will dissect a little bit your success in the business and where you are right now, which is pretty remarkable. But I want to ask you, do you feel that this situation put in a path that you actually didn't choose, but you had no other choice to, to make, but deal with that circumstance and fall in love with real estate? 
For me specifically, no, because I think that real estate, having grown up in it, I saw the value of it. So my father, although he worked really hard, we would spend the summer in Croatia and go to the beach for two months. And that was possible because the tenants were paying the mortgage and he was able to you know, go off and enjoy his life. So I saw the good and the bad. I saw him working you know, 60 hours a week, um, not wanting to come see me when it was his weekend with me because he didn't want to get sick. Like if I was sick and it was my mom's weekend and then my dad had to come for his weekend and I was still sick, he would say, no, I can't get sick. I have so much work to do. So I saw that side of things, but I also saw the freedom that it created for a family. So I never felt that this wasn't something I wanted to do. In fact, I actually took this foundation that he built for me and 10 x it and got into different areas of real estate. So that happened at 16. And then you you basically managed those properties for many years. Did you buy any more when you got a little older? Because I know then you became a real estate agent. So you kind of sh- went to another kind of focus. And I know you grew significantly there. It went from zero to 400,000 in, in four years, which is pretty remarkable. So uh, first question is, did you buy more real estate as an investor or did you take a break and just go straight to being an agent a little older? I did both. I got into real estate sales. Before I got into real estate sales, I started looking at different options in the space of real estate for investing. So I looked into passive real estate investing, including private lending. Once again, this was network. It was a family friend who was a mortgage broker who, you know, obviously at some level knew that I had come into money and started to share with me about, um, opportunities to invest passively, which was all good. Nothing went wrong there. I actually did very well in those deals. And then I also got my real estate license. And then because I was a realtor, I started to see more opportunities and I did build my portfolio. I bought an investment condo in Toronto that I rented out. Uh, additionally, I also started to get into syndication type deals. And like I mentioned, the, the mortgage uh, private lending deals as well. So right now, let me just make sure I am getting the the facts here correct. You are a passive investor in different um, syndications in San Pedro, Belize. You have Florida, Delaware, Nevada, Toronto, in different locations, right? And investing nationally and internationally is a completely different animal. And I would like to dissect that a little bit uh, with you. Before we do that, uh, let's hear a word from our sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing or two about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with a reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. 
With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet, Chardonnay, or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. Well, one of their single barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. Hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in store? Well, that's no problem because Total Wine & More makes it easy to get everything you need for any occasion with curbside pickup and delivery. But you know what the best thing about shopping at Total Wine & More is? That every bottle comes with the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21. So Sarah, tell me, tell me first of all, uh, investing nationally and internationally, what were the differences that you have found that you can share with our listeners? The biggest difference I find is that in Canada and the U.S., there's a way business is done. When you go abroad, sometimes business is done very differently. And that can be challenging. For example, in Belize, there were challenges with getting the appropriate financing. Things are moving slower on one of the assets that I was um, a syndication type deal that I was an investor in. So once you go abroad, if anybody's considering it, I think the, the quality of the people that you're working with is critical, knowing that they have a track record in that location, because if they don't, they may not have the relationships required to actually move a deal over the finish line because there's a lot of politics involved in larger scale development as well. So that would be my main lessons from going abroad. Well, I, right now I live in Costa Rica and I'm also working on a development here and I'm very particular now about who I work with when I go abroad for specifically these reasons. Liz wants to know the horror stories. Right, Liz? <laughs> I know, yeah. I know it's it's in her head right now. She's like, tell me all that went wrong because I love I do. to know that. I do love to know what went wrong. <laughs> any, 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 not horror stories, but like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Therefore, I had to go through this and it was a big lesson that sometimes cost me money, time, and a lot of, lots of resources. Any, any one of those on your books? Yes. <laughs> and Liz is probably loving this, but no, it's, we all encounter challenges. Like my you know, biography can sound like impressive, but I went through things. So one of the big challenges was in one of the assets that I co-invested in the, some of the members at the sponsorship team. So think about the deal team that is running the deal. There was a lawsuit and that then held up any cash coming into that deal, it also burned the reputation of the development itself, which therefore stopped additional capital coming in, not only from investors, but from the banks that were supposed to finance the property. So my big thing is who you work with is critical. And this is what I always <laughs> emphasize to people because a lot of us can trust someone. And I first believe that trusting is not something you want to remove, but trust and verify is critical because you don't want to be in a deal that's going to be five, six, seven years where you're, you're stuck with these people and you don't have control. Trusting but verify is a great suggestion. But often when you get into these type of passive investments, you don't know as much about the market or the asset class as probably the operator on some level. And if you do, there's a part of the business plan that you're trusting them to, to, to do, right? That's obviously the whole point of an operator versus an LP. How do you trust but verify, you know, with, with your 
learning what you learned? Uh, had you had to go back and do it over again? Like what specifically do you do to make sure something like that doesn't happen again? Number one, I would say ask your network if they invest passively and who they invest with. So first, there's a little bit of trust. If somebody's had a good experience, see what's going on there. Two, I would research key terms and an overview of this type of deal you know, say it's a syndication, I'll maybe Google beforehand, listen to some podcasts, watch YouTube videos to get an idea of the basics. Cause there's a lot of jargon in a lot of these deals. And you want to come in with educated questions. Once you approach a sponsorship team, then three, I would say set up phone calls, meetings, have that sponsorship team go over the whole deal process with these potential deal providers and ask them four critical questions. One, how many deals have you gone full cycle on? Meaning investors' capital has been returned and their profits. Two, what is the rate of return? Three, how long is my money invested? And is it liquid or illiquid? Meaning, can I access these funds or not? And four, can I see an example of a previous deal you've done? These will help somebody to get a better overview of the deal team. I have a couple, I have a few different thoughts that I can take this, but I'm curious, what is your ideal uh, operator team? Meaning on the GP side, what what is a red flag to you in terms of too many, too 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 few? Is there a certain amount of people that should be involved at the helm of these projects, in your opinion? I do think some deal teams spread themselves too thin. They get into markets that they don't have a track record in or don't have the right connections in because they're chasing profits. So I think on the GP side, of course, a smaller team is preferred, but also when you're entering a deal passively, because you're right, Liz, you do not have control. You know, you can do your due diligence, but at the end of the day, they're going to do what they need to do. You want to find out if they've worked with their asset management team before. Uh, do they have a footprint in that actual location? Do they know the economics of that area? Do they know the employment data? Do they know if there's, you know, going to be some kind of disruption politically in that area. There's a lot of questions to ask at the front end because you're likely going to invest with this team, not for one deal. If you like them, you're going to keep investing. I think a lot of a lot of uh, limited partners, right? Folks that are investing passively are only asking questions to the front of the house instead of being curious about who is running the back of the house. What do I mean by that? Many times the person that is doing the webinars, raising the money and being in the front of the house, it's not involved in the back of the house. Many occasions it might be or it might not be. And you trust that person and you never spoke with the back of the house. You never asked about their track records. Who, who, who is on that team? If they completed Guys, if you guys missed this, Sarah said, full cycle, please, please. My grandmother and my neighbor and the guy from Acme all started syndication in 2020. And now they are like, yay, whatever. They didn't complete a full cycle. So full cycle is part of the track record. I don't think, and that's my question to you, Sarah. Do you think that you are able to evaluate the asset manager when they did not complete an, uh, a full cycle? Is that a red flag on your books or you would consider? 
I think you're making an excellent point because asset management, and we've seen this the last few years, is critical to actually boosting the NOI in these properties and getting them, you know, cash flowing at a level that investors can actually get their money returned. If you were able to, and that's one of the benefits of these deals is they're real properties. I think that's why we love real estate. If you could go to the asset, if you could go look look around a little bit, see how things are going with the property management. If that property management team hasn't completed a full cycle deal with this sponsor team specific sponsorship team specifically, can you go find out what other deals they've worked on? If it's a good quality asset management team, they're likely working with a number of sponsors. So I think you're making an excellent point to do even further due diligence and get into the nitty gritty. I think the other part of the, the the puzzle is so many people look at the numbers, right? They look at the 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 track record, they look at the you know investor deck, if you will. And all those numbers in terms of IRR and cash on cash return are like literally best case scenario. Like if, if all the stars align, this is what the project will look like. And I think now more than ever, we have to really mitigate risk, right? Because there's things out of our control. And I know this as a, as a syndicator. So how, how does someone who is evaluating these projects you know, obviously they can ask those questions, right? Are these, is this like best case scenario? What's your worst case scenario? But what are some of the, 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 the flags or the things that, that, you know, past investors can look for as they're looking at the slide deck, the financials to kind of see like, is this getting set up on propped up on like literally if all the stars aligned or have they really baked in some, some mitigating their own risk and their own cushions? Excellent point. And if it's a sponsorship team that I hope people are working with that's reputable, they should be more than willing to show their past performance from previous deals, what they projected and what the actual returns were. I think that would be excellent as well. I really think people should not put too much in. I'm a big believer in educating and also making money at the same time, like learning and also profiting. But start small. Don't put 50% of your net worth into a syndication. Put 10% or less. Then you can be okay with the risk that is going to be there for you because none of us actually have a crystal ball and can say everything's risk-free, but you want to mitigate risk by maybe putting in less money, doing due diligence on their past deals. And once you've done everything, at some level, you do need to trust yourself and say, look, I've done all the work. I'm going to do this and see what happens. But I think the more upfront due diligence you're doing, you're reducing the chances of things going wrong. One one thing that Liz always said to me is like, okay, the numbers tell a story, right? But nothing substitute like a conversation with, with, with somebody about maybe something else besides the project, right? I want to know, and I am like looking at everything, right? Body language and how a person responds, voice tonality and all different things. Because I want to know, I want to get to that person. And sometimes I tell Liz this, it's like, I couldn't get to that person. Meaning there was a mask that was being worn for some reason. I couldn't get to that person. So something is off. And I sometimes I can't pinpoint because everything looks fine on paper, but my but sometimes that's that's what it is too. So I think it's a combination. When when LPs are investing in a deal, it's a combination about okay. Let me do all my due diligence, but now I want to also have a gut check here with with this person and to see like this person lifestyle, 
I always had a ick when、um, my contractor show up one day in a Mercedes to work. To work, I was like, "Huh? How did they get their their tools around? I mean, like, how did they actually?" Exactly. I don't know. I, I don't know. Exactly. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> so I was like, then I was like, "Good for you, buddy," but I I made a mistake. I hired the wrong contractor when I saw him showing up in a white Mercedes to do my rehab project. I was like. Uh, uh-uh. uh, that's not gonna work because it's just not in alignment, right? And I was like, "This is not gonna work." I want you to show up in a freaking van, right? With your 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 company name on the side, you get your your tools out of the the van, not in a Mercedes, not in a Mercedes. So I think that it's not that that I'm judging people for buying cars. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am, but that's okay. But if I am talking to somebody to a sponsor, and their way of thinking, their lifestyle, and how they, they their relationship with money is off is off off of alignment with mine, right? It can be in alignment with his or hers or theirs. It can be that. But I think we need to be on the same page about that as as well, because sometimes. It's the investment. The person itself is going to make it or break it, and I want to trust that that person, no matter what happens, is going to carry on with that project. So, by looking back, Sarah, you were quote unquote trained since young age, since you were sixteen or before that with your dad to to kind of like evaluate that. So, how do you take those lessons and apply that now when you are looking for、uh, GPs, evaluating the GP side? And I love that because my dad was one of those people who showed up in his truck <laughs> with his gray sweater. <laughs> Not I his remember, Mercedes. No, I remember being a kid, and he would be hammering things at his property, or we'd be cleaning, and people would come up to the house that was in a nice neighborhood, and they'd ask him about the property. They would say, "Oh, you know, you know, I like this house. Do you know if it's for sale? That just happens." And he would say, "Oh, I just work here." Like he was so exactly.、Humble. And just I remember his truck, his work truck, actually broke down. He he wore it to the ground so much that the police stopped him on the side of the road because they like he can't drive this anymore. <laughs> and one day he just showed up at, at my mom's building where I lived with her in a new truck, and he never said anything about it. It was just a new work truck, and that was how I was raised. You know, stay humble, work hard. And one of the things I've learned along my journey is. When you meet somebody and you want to invest with them, meet them if you can with their family. Meet somebody else in their world, whether it's their kids or their mom, or go for a dinner together if it's possible. When you see how people are in relation to their friends or their their family members, it says a lot.、Uh, there was、um, a story of one of the、uh, individuals who. On a deal that didn't go well、um, at an event, and the it, it was a funeral or something. The family didn't want to come,、um, and they were really just icky about that person. And then, you know, my my husband was like, "This something feels off here." So the points you're bringing up is at the end of the day, 
the investing in money, we're all humans and you are going to be in that relationship for a long time. So if you feel icky and you're doing that gut check and you're seeing how they treat other people, like, do they have integrity? Are they on time? I think partially why I did really good as a realtor is I did so much personal development work uh, before I became a realtor. I love that stuff. And integrity is critical. If I say I'm going to be there at 9am, I'm there at 9am. And if I'm not, it's a problem. (laughs) So there's so much soft skills that you're pointing to that are such an important aspect of all of this. Yeah. And I'll just say something that that is coming up for me is that most people will either err on the soft skill side and they don't do enough of the kind of like the hard, like, okay, what are the hard numbers? Or they're more on the hard number side and they forget to do the soft skill side. So to, to be effective, right? To be successful, especially now, uh, you have to have both. And, and I think that's a really good way of, of saying it. Uh, Sarah, this has been great. Where can the ladies and everyone listening learn more about you? I'm always on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can uh, follow me there, Sarah Miskelly or highlycapital.com. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Sarah, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Everybody says that. (laughs) Well, it it is transformational, right? So it checks the mark. Second question, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? Waking up early, 4 or 5 a.m. Sarah, kudos to you, though. I don't know. You're my sister, Sarah. I love it. 4 a.m. is a little early for me, but I like a little closer to the 5 (laughs) a.m. I'm not saying I wouldn't like it. I would love it. I just can't do it. (laughs) I would love it. Yes. Yes, but I can't do it. In the past, yes. Now, no. Uh, But kudos to both of you. I will not see you at 4 a.m. Thank you very much. (laughs) Last question. Which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Kathy Fetke. Yeah, Kathy's great. Kathy's great. She's going to be, uh, she spoke uh, our, for, our InvestorCon 2022 and she's speaking at InvestorCon 2024. So she's uh, one of our favorites. Yes, yes. Come, 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 Sarah, come to InvestorCon and we'll introduce you to her. Amazing. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our, our community. I'm so happy to have been here. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.